Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is nothing short of a gift to be able to gather here together and to worship you. And you deserve all of our praise. Help us to find more riches in the greatest gift you have given to us through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to treasure his name in our hearts. Help us to find more delight in him than anyone or anything else. Lord, we pray that you open your word to us this morning so that all this may be possible. And may your spirit move in our midst. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I hope you had a great time celebrating Christmas Day with your family and loved ones. And the celebration is not over yet. We're still in Christmas tide. Um, and today we are following the ancient practice of commemorating a feast day. And the feast day today is the feast of the circumcision and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And historically, the church has used this day to remember the incarnation and to remember how Jesus came to fulfill the law as part of bringing us salvation. In scripture, we see that it was the Jewish custom to circumcise and name a male infant eight days after their birth. And so if we count eight days after the day we we celebrated Jesus' birth just recently, we come to today. And as I prepared for this sermon, I found a lot of hope, a lot of grace and assurance and peace in these things. And it's my hope today that you will walk away with those things as well. And I want to approach this by using the collect of the day to guide us as we look at the scriptures and what God is telling us through them that we heard today. So let's look at the first line in the collect, which says that Jesus fulfilled the covenant of circumcision for our sake. If you remember from the Luke and passage today, the angels had just left the shepherds after telling them about Jesus who had just been born. And the shepherds went to Bethlehem to see the baby for themselves, and they went to proclaim the good news about this child. And all the people were in wonder. And then we come to verse 21, eight days after Jesus' birth, he is circumcised and given his name. Now, what is so important about Jesus' circumcision? Martin Luther once said, Jesus put himself under the works of the law. He was circumcised, presented, and purified in the temple. He became subject to father and mother and the like. Yet he was not obliged to do this. For he was Lord of all laws. But he did so willingly, not fearing or seeking anything for himself in it. You see, the circumcision of Jesus illuminates the reality of the incarnation. The incarnation was the pivotal point in God's redemptive story. When once humanity approached God and presented him offerings, God, the sovereign God of the universe, 
came down and approached humanity by offering his beloved son to dwell with humanity. And Jesus would become obedient to the very laws and the very customs that he prescribed. How often do we stop and think about how marvelous this is? It almost seems absurd to us that God would do this, but he did it, and he did it for our sake, and he did it because it was the only way to redeem humanity. And how is this so? You see, the Jewish customs like circumcision were physical symbols that represented the covenant between God and his people. And these things, along with the law, set the Jewish people apart from other nations, not so that the Jews could brag about their special place with God, but so that it could point to the glory and the holiness of God and point to his desire for redemption. And even though God called his people to obedience to the law, no one was able to perfectly fulfill its requirements. The law exposed their sin just like it does ours. But the law also anticipated Jesus and pointed to his glory and his perfection. He is the only one who could ever perfectly fulfill it. And he came to fulfill it so that you and I could be freed from it. His obedience to the law made him the perfect human sacrifice for our sinful human condition. And his death and his resurrection not only atoned for our sins, but removed the weight of the law from us. And so now, rather than being under the law, we are invited today to be under his grace. We don't have to meet all the requirements of the law to be saved. Christ has already met them. And we see how some believers in the early church struggled to grasp this. In Acts 15, we see Jewish believers who were not just imposing the moral law upon the Gentiles, but they were demanding that they be circumcised to be marked as God's people. But the apostles reminded them that it is only faith in the saving work of Christ that is necessary. And as Paul has also put it in his letter to the Galatians, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Which is such comforting news, right? But why is it that some struggle with this? Why is it that we sometimes struggle with this? Let me ask you a question. How often do you truly believe that faith in Christ is enough for your salvation? Why do we feel the need to appease God after we've fallen into sin? Why is it that we feel like we need to read enough scripture, pray enough daily offices, or perform the liturgy well enough to feel like we're true Christians or in God's good graces? I encourage you, don't fall into that trap. It only leads to anxiety, not peace. You see, God's grace cannot be obtained. It can only be received. And so I encourage you this morning to receive the grace of God. Receive the benefits that Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross. Now this leads me to my next point. Why was the naming of Jesus so important? 
The collect today says that he was given the name that is above every name. Back in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, the angel Gabriel told Mary, you, shall, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And indeed, we see in later, in chapter 2, Jesus was officially given his name after his circumcision. Now, names are a very important matter throughout the Bible. Uh, for example, Adam means the first man. Eve the mother of all living things. Job, persecuted. Noah, rest. Peter, the rock. And so on and so on. And we also see the names of God in Scripture. You might recall the story of Moses asking God what his name is. And God responded with, I am who I am, which is also translated as Yahweh, which means to be. And it points to God's presence in all things. And it points to his faithfulness and his covenants. God is also called Adonai, which means the sovereign creator and master of the universe. We saw this in our psalm reading today. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And if you remember from the Exodus reading today, we heard God describe himself in an interesting way as he was speaking to Moses. The text says that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, naturally, we might expect him to just simply repeat his name, Yahweh or Adonai. But the text goes on to say the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You see, God proclaimed his name by naming his characteristics. The beauty of all this is that God brought these characteristics into the man, Jesus Christ. Never before could people see the face of God. In fact, to look upon the glory of God would result in death because his, his glory was too powerful and too good to bear. But God desired his glory to be manifest, not just in the temple with the Israelites and such, but to be manifest to all the people across all the world. Theologian William Dearness has said, God's glory needed radical reinterpretation in the mission of Christ, who in his death fully revealed God's redemptive glory. You see, brothers and sisters, God has met humanity with his mercy, grace, slowness to anger, steadfast love, faithfulness, and forgiveness in the very human person of Jesus Christ. If you've had any doubt that God desires to be close to you, remember this. Remember the lengths that he's taking to dwell with humanity. He took on flesh in the person of Christ. And we know that he's also sent his spirit to dwell within us. And it's been said that Jesus' name is known all across the world more than any other name throughout history. But you might find it interesting to know that Jesus' name was actually a common name during the biblical times. It was like a name we hear commonly today, a name like Jake, Ronald, Dylan, 
Scott, and so on and so forth. It's hard to imagine Jesus' name being such a common name when it sounds so divine to us. But what does the name Jesus mean? It means the Lord is salvation or the God who saves. Now, I suspect some parents who named their kid Jesus in the biblical times probably did so to point to God's saving work in the past or their hope of his saving work in the future. But this man we know as Jesus, the Christ, was different. He was more than a great teacher or a liberator in politics. This was actually God in flesh who came to save the world. God who came to save you. Who came to save you, Sid. Who came to save you, Brian. Who came to save you, Robbie. Who came to save you, Melissa. Who came to save you, Kelly. God who came to save all of us. Now, Jesus had been given many other titles. He is Lord, the sovereign ruler over all creation. He is Christ, the chosen Messiah, to deliver us from sin and the powers of hell. He is the King of kings, the one who ascended into heaven after his resurrection and was coronated as King of the cosmos. He is the Lamb of God, the one who is perfect and innocent, the one who is the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. There are many titles that we can ascribe to Jesus. And one professor has cleverly said this. We could go on when it comes to explaining the names, titles, and descriptions of Jesus' work in the New Testament. We might paraphrase what the Apostle John said about the deeds of Christ. Were every one of them to be expounded upon, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. My friends, Jesus' name is truly the most wonderful and powerful name in all the universe. And his name demands our response. The collect prayer today goes on to say, Give us grace faithfully to bear his name and to worship him with pure hearts according to the new covenant. This morning we've heard what Jesus has done for us. We've reflected on the new covenant that he has established. And the question is, what response does the name of Jesus provoke within you? Do you desire to faithfully bear his name? You know, the shepherds in the gospel passage today were known as some of the first evangelists. They gladly shared the good news of Jesus and they glorified and praised God all the way back home. Will you be like the shepherds? by faithfully bearing the name of Jesus with your mouths, with your hands and feet. As Christians, we've been given a great responsibility to be witnesses and ambassadors of the gospel to the world. We're called to point the world to the beauty of Jesus' name and to bring the lost back into his fold. And this is so important in the world we live in today because when, when people hear us say the name of Jesus, will it... Um, give them a sour taste in their mouth, or will will it give them a sweet taste? It seems as though today the name of Jesus and Christianity in general often has a negative connotation to it. And God doesn't need our defense, but what might we do to change those negative connotations? 
I suggest remaining faithful to bearing his name well in our words and actions at home, at work, and anywhere else. And we're also called to faithfully bear his name in our hearts. Remember Mary in the gospel reading today. The text says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Will you be like Mary? Will you allow the name of Jesus to be like treasure in your heart? Will you allow Jesus to govern and transform the affections and the desires in your heart? I'll close with this. The Apostle Paul is one of our greatest examples of what it means to bear the name of Jesus well. In the Romans passage today, he describes his goal as to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name. The big thing for a lot of people this time of the year is to make New Year's resolutions. People are going to choose to be guided by all sorts of voices, all sorts of practices and other things. But the question is, who or what is going to be guiding us as this year moves along? I'm reminded of an old Bob Dylan song. He once wrote, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I say, let's be resolved to give our all to serving Jesus as this year moves along. May we do everything for the sake of Jesus' name. And may we resolve to do this not out of obligation, not out of desperation, but because of our delight in Jesus. Because we are amazed by the wonderful works that he has done for us. May this be so, the Lord being our helper and our strength. Amen.